Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sportsology, the podcast. Joining me today is five-time Paralympian, Paralympic gold medalist, two-time Paralympic all-star team, four-time world champion, three-time world champion all-star team, four-time world sledge hockey champion, plus a great husband and father, Billy Bridges. How are you doing today? Good. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I think my wife slipped you some money to pay the last one, but... (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. Just uh, trying to get you some hype up. (laughs) Yeah. So can you start off the podcast by telling the viewers a bit about yourself and and your story? Sure. Um, My name is Billy Bridges. Uh, I've been on the Paralympic sledge hockey team or para ice hockey team for 22 years now, I think it is, or 23. A super long time. Uh, I made the team when I was 14. Uh, I was born with a disability called spina bifida. Um, so basically that affects the nerves in your spinal cord that, uh, you know, affects the way that your legs grow, the way that your body moves. And um, I'm one of the really lucky ones that doesn't have the fluid buildup that can go up to the brain, which is called hydrocephalus. Uh, most people with spina bifida have that and they need a shunt and, and uh, can have some other difficulties as well. And I was lucky to avoid all of that. Um, I had 16 surgeries um, by the time I was 10. And uh, I always kind of complained about, you know, foot pain, leg pain. And then my mom finally showed me a picture of what my legs looked like when I was born. And they're shaped like question marks. They're both hooked. Like my heels were up by my hips. And uh, so really the doctors did uh, a pretty incredible job. I was able to use crutches my whole childhood. I, I used to skateboard on my crutches and I used to do all these crazy things. And it's all because of, uh, you know, how successful those Toronto doctors were. Um, I was lucky enough to be skateboarding downtown Guelph, uh, one afternoon and this old lady ran across the street screaming at me, which in Guelph back then it was illegal to skateboard. So I thought I was getting in trouble. And, um, this woman comes up to me and, and I go, yeah, yeah, sorry. And I picked up my skateboard and she goes, Oh, uh, what disabled sports do you play? Um, what teams are you part of? And I had no idea what she was talking about. And I was like, sorry, I don't even know what you mean. And she points across the street to my now best friend, Brad Bowden, and that was her grandson. And she said, my, my grandson is playing wheelchair basketball and sledge hockey. You should come play. And at the time, I didn't really have a way to get there or, you know, to get a wheelchair or any of these things. And she helped me through all of that and would drive all the way to pick me up to take me to practices and instantly just fell in love with being able to compete with with other people that were similar to me. And and once I found sledge hockey, you know, it didn't matter if you were able-bodied or an amputee or had spina bifida, we were all in the same playing field once you get into that sled. And and so I was able to play with my father and uh, my able-bodied brother plays as well. And really it just opened up so many doors for me that uh, definitely never would have been there if if I didn't find them and if I didn't have my disability. Well, it's really a lot lot to take in there, Um, you know, it, it, you, you you talk about having uh, multiple, multiple, multiple surgeries before you were 10. Talk about adversity and, you know, battling through that. So, you know, good on you. And yeah, I'm glad that, um, you know, that that fluid, you didn't have to do deal with that, something like that. Uh, you know, some people aren't as fortunate, but, you know, that's that's great to hear that you kind of like and you embraced it. And then, you know, someone introduced it to you because, you know, what would have happened if she didn't. Right. So um, awesome to hear. Awesome to hear. <laughs> But uh, so through your experiences in uh, para hockey, how do you continue to be consistent after playing so many years through it? 
Well, you you know the exact same as 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 stand up hockey NHLers. You you have to evolve with the game. You know, I, I'm a I'm a bit of a Habs fan. I'm from Prince Edward Island, so out there you're either a Habs fan or a Bruins fan. And you know, there's some weirdos out there that are Leafs fans. But anyway, I was I was watching the game last night, and and you know, Corey Perry is such a a good example as someone who's evolved with the game. You know, he he was a a tough, gritty guy to begin with, and then you know he like even still this long into his career he still has evolved his game to have hands you know you look at that goal that he scored last night um where you know guys that that didn't evolve with the game wouldn't have been on that line first of all wouldn't be able to play with those young guys and and make those plays and i feel like my career has evolved um you know so much with the game when i first started we didn't work out. We just had ice times. And, you know, I look back at it and I think of how easy it was to be on the Paralympic team at the time. And, and I, I, I kind of say that, um, you know, half-heartedly because I, I was lucky to have a, a lot of, a lot of skill and a lot of talent when I grew up. And I was lucky to have my best friend, Brad, who him and I would just go out on the outdoor rinks and just play and compete and practice with each other for hours and hours and hours. And, we really kind of, we were the trendsetters um, of, of the game for a good 15 years. We, we were evolved, evolving the sport. And I feel like now, obviously being an older guy, the sport is evolving past me. And so now I feel like yeah, you just have to be aware of, of where the game is going, what the new guys are doing and trying to stay on top of it. You know, I, I always feel like if you wanna be better than somebody at something, you not only have to train and practice your mind, and visualize just as much as them, you need to do it way more than what they're doing. So it's it's definitely being aware, you know, being on social media, seeing what Americans are doing, seeing what Russians are doing. And then also I, I really feel like our Canadian players are, are the top skilled players in the entire world. So being lucky enough to be able to train with Tyler McGregor and Liam Hickey and seeing what these guys are doing and incorporating that into my game. You know, my game as it was, was really good in, you know, 2006 but now the game has come so far that luckily I'm, I'm smart enough to realize that I need to 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 master what they're doing to be able to keep up with the game and you know I want to be a player that's that's 25 years into my career and still contributing I, I never want to be carried on a team because of my name or who I am or because I feel bad or something I want to I want to be the the guy that's out there helping our team win yeah, for sure. And you, you talked about visualization a bit there. And that, that actually leads me into my next question. Do you ever implement any mental skills before, like when playing? Have you ever done that through your career? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, back in the day, it wasn't something that was ever talked about um, or practiced, but it was something that um, I just kind of naturally did myself was was visualizing, um, visualizing the game, visualizing plays. There was nothing that I ever did in a game that I didn't do a thousand times in my head. You know, there would be certain circumstances like picking up the, the puck on the wall with an attacker coming, you know, things like that that are really difficult and can be kind of scary. Well, the way that I got over that fear was doing it a million times in my head and, and going over all the different ways that it could go and, you know, trying to, trying to problem solve in your head. So then, you know, it comes up to practice sure you're a little rusty you're not really performing it perfectly or exactly how you envisioned it but at least you have an idea 
you, you know, like I, I've always been a heads up player. Um, and, and luckily that's kind of saved me from a lot of injuries and a lot of hits. Um, and I, I, I attribute it to, you know, being a hitter my entire life. So I, I know the angles, I know when you're vulnerable, I know all those things, but it's also because of my visualization and, and how many times I've got hit in my own head and how many times I've gotten injured in my own head and how to avoid that and how to survive it. Now, these days, obviously, every single sports team out, out there has a sports psychologist. Um, I work with a psychiatrist as well, um, you know, because I feel like you're, you're absolutely not a complete player these days if you're not working on your mental game. It's such a massive part of any sport. You know, natural talent can get you so far. Hard work can get you, you know, almost the rest of the way. But you're never going to be a complete contributor to your team if you're not working on, you know, visualization. Um, for me, a huge thing was arousal control. You know, I, I used to go into games listening to death metal and I was like, I, I thought I had to get like so fired up. And then I was so emotional on the ice that I would take a bad hit and boom, a punch would come out. Like I, I would just lose it. Like I, I had a hockey card. Um, like 10 years ago, that said that I had 275 points and 275 penalty minutes. And it was, it was pretty much at that point where I was just like, holy sh sugar, this is, this is bad. Like, like, yeah, I contributed all those points, but I also cost my team all those minutes. And, you know, it, it, it really wasn't until I became a routine athlete. I used to be very sporadic. Uh, with my training and relied on like motivation to get to the gym and to get on the ice. And, and my, my scheduling was always kind of just spontaneous and where a lot of times I would get the job done. I didn't have that routine. And in the, in the past few years, especially in the last year and a half during the pandemic, like the routine like saved me and it kind of changed everything. And I no longer, felt like I needed to get all amped up and fired up to, to get like to that level to be able to compete because, because of the routine I'd been at competing at that level every day in the gym on the ice. So then it takes so much pressure off when you can go into a gold medal game and realize that you don't need to get completely jacked up. All you need to do is just do what you've been doing the entire time. And, and really, I, I feel like it takes so much pressure off. I'm, I'm able to win those big face-offs. I think I've got a, a goal or, or, or points in every single gold medal game I've, I've almost ever been in. And, and I really feel like it's because of that. Like I, because I can control my, my emotions, you know, I still, I still like to get jacked up with positivity sometimes like a player makes a good play, a big hit or a goal or something like that. But nowadays I'm able to, to kind of bring it back down to realize that I don't, I don't want to play here. You know, I want to play where I play because you, you kind of realize at the end of the day that those big championships, those big games are won by every player doing what they can do the best that they can do it. You know, and that's what I try to tell my younger guys, especially before those big games, like you're going to get minutes, you don't need to be jacked up and you don't need to do something that you haven't done before to win. You just need to do exactly what you can do to the best that you can do it. And you know that that's all you can ask of yourself on those big days is, is just to, to be the best version of yourself. You don't need to be any extra as soon as guys start trying to be extra. 
that's when we start holding on to the puck too long, giving it away and making making these stupid errors that that you see all the time in hockey, right? But anyway, yeah, lots of lots of mental skills work for sure. Yeah, I mean, there there's so many things to talk about there. Like you have to kind of create your own motivation if you, if you really do want to get better, whether that's uh, the physical side or the mental side and, you know, um, like overthinking, right. You know, you don't want to be doing too much. You don't want to be doing something that maybe you haven't, you haven't tried before. That's, that's where it comes in. It's like, you have to really practice. You have to, you have to do it all over your head again. And then from there you do it, but, um, you know, overthinking probably plagues so many players, um, that's so many times, right. You see, you see so many giveaways, right. You see, you see that all the time, whether it's, it's the NHL, the MLB, the NBA, any, any sport, honestly, like it, it, um, you know, you have to realize that there's those times where, uh, you have to put the difference between, uh, knowing what the safe play is and the risky play. And the, the risky play is usually overthinking because you're trying to do too much at that time. So I, I think, you know, you hit many things right on the head of the nail there. So, uh, <laughs> um, definitely makes sense. Um, there's, there was one thing I found so interesting was that you have an 80 mile per hour slap shot using one arm and there's no flex on the stick. <laughs> like that, that's something I find absolutely crazy. Uh, maybe talk about that a bit. I, I don't know how, but you know, a lot of it is trade secret that I've, uh, you know, I really kept to myself for years. Um, and like the basic physics of it is I pick my leg when I shoot. So you, you see some um, stand-up guys shoot with one arm and a lot of them can take a big shot if they hold halfway down the stick and tuck the top of their stick behind their arm. Well, that's essentially what happens with, with guys in sledge hockey who can shoot hard, myself, Liam Hickey, Tyler McGregor, a lot of those players, what happens is you, you hold with about, you hold the stick with about six inches of the stick um, exposed beneath your hand. And that's where your picks are. So what happens is I come down on the puck, push down on the ice, the same kind of technique and mentality that stand-up players would. And as the puck is rolling from the heel to the toe, the picks of my stick dig into my shin pad and that's what creates that torque that it's almost like two hands are on the stick. And that's what can kind of create that power to be able to snap it off and take that shot. Now, I was lucky to, to have kind of figured that out at a younger age. And, and I, I do want to mention that when we first started, my dad um, would actually make my sticks. Like we had to create our own sticks. So we'd take a two by four and I would draw a pattern on it. He would cut it out on the jigsaw. I would be on the belt sander for hours making my own curve. And usually at the end of the day, it was about like a centimeter and a half wide or else they would just break. And then my dad would, would put some fiberglass and resin on it. And, you know, that's what I used at my first Paralympic games in Salt Lake city. And that's what I used at my first world championships. And, and, you know, you know, I, I really feel like my, my shot has been a weapon my entire career. And that's because of the, of the work that I put in, you know, it was fun for me to sit in the garage and just shoot thousands and thousands of pucks. You know, we started out, my dad spray painted uh, 
a little like net on the wall and and I would shoot into it and then you know about six months later I started putting holes in the wall and then like a couple months later I started going through the wall entirely so we finally went out and and found a, a used net that I could use and shoot into so I wasn't breaking his stuff anymore um, but for me it was just it was fun it wasn't work you know every day I wanted to shoot pucks and you know, it's 25 years later after I started playing, I still just want to go out on the ice and shoot pucks. And, and that's where, that's where I kind of say sometimes about the success uh, in those big games, it, it falls down on, on every player doing what they do the best that they can do it. And, and I, I truly believe that that's why I, I've been able to score so many of these big goals is because I just love it and I've done it and I'm addicted to it. And it's probably my most confident skill that I have. I know that if I can get that puck flat right in front of me, then I'm going to let that go. But, you know, it's, it, it's, it's fun to show people. It's even more fun when you can get an able-bodied, you know, NHL or high-level hockey player to get into a sled and try it. And, and really kind of have them get the appreciation of, of how hard these guys can shoot these days. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I can barely hit 80 <laughs> by myself with two hands. So it, it definitely, um, I, I could definitely see how, how hard it would be to, to, to do that, like, for sure. Um, but peering away from Perak for a second, you're not just a single sport athlete. You also play, like, you do some wheelchair tennis and basketball and you you're good <laughs> like it, the, the, you're you're not just like para hockey this is like everything else could you talk a bit more about that and you know how you you know you take that same mentality over those sports yeah absolutely um as i was talking about at the beginning of this podcast was uh when colleen and brad came and found me um you know the only sport that people knew about in the paralympic games was wheelchair racing and uh, wheelchair basketball. Now I didn't have, and still don't have a racing bone in my body. You can ask my coaches when we do testing. Like I, I am absolutely the worst tester of all time because I just, I, I don't care about racing. I don't care. You know, you get me on the ice and there's a puck and a guy in between me and in that puck, I'm going to get it. But you know, you, you set me up on a straight line and tell me to race. I, yeah, I've never been good at it, but so we, we started playing wheelchair basketball, um, you know, right away. And, and it's, it's, you know, I, I equate it to um, kind of soccer for able-bodied kids. You know, if, if you're, if you're lucky enough to be a disabled child that can afford a wheelchair, anyone with a wheelchair um, can, can hold on to a basketball and go out to a park and, and shoot some hoops. And that's kind of the best thing about it. You know, it, it, uh, it didn't matter how, um, you know, how poor we were, when I was younger, um, everything was just there. And I, I was lucky enough to have uh, a coach named Jeff Penner, who uh, was a paraplegic and he, he would just take kids, didn't matter what age, didn't matter what level, and he could put them all on the same level in the same plane and uh, just make it fun. You know, right away, he, he, he just made me and Brad just addicted to it. And we were too small to be able to shoot normally up to a, a 10 foot net. So we would, we would throw it like a baseball to get it up. And I remember uh, our, our first junior nationals, Brad in the gold medal game, actually like threw one up and put it in and just how like amazed we were. Um, but what got me addicted to it was when we were playing, we were, um, you know, 
uh, so fortunate that a guy that was about six or seven years older than us um, is Patrick Anderson, who's the best wheelchair basketball player in the entire world, bar none. I would say probably the best Paralympic athlete that's ever existed. Like this guy is insane. What what he's done with his basketball, you know, he's been on on the wheelchair basketball team as long as I've been on the hockey team. And it was just so amazing growing up on his same junior team and seeing what he was creating, seeing how hard he was pushing himself and also seeing the balance, you know, he, he, he played so many other different sports as well. And that's what really kind of got us into everything. Um, You know, so uh, Jeff ended up, uh, Jeff Penner ended up throwing some, um, you know, like, day camps kind of thing in the summer for for the basketball team and he would introduce us to different sports and and luckily he introduced us to sledge hockey and that's what kind of got us addicted to that but we continued playing wheelchair basketball for so long after uh, because the opportunities were so much greater than it was for for para uh, para hockey or sledge hockey as I still call it Um, I ended up making the the uh, national team for two years um ended up not being able to get to the Beijing games, um, which was kind of my goal. Um, during that time, I went and played professional wheelchair basketball in Spain, and I, I got to get a taste of that. And it was it was just so incredible to, to play a, you know, a disabled sport, a Paralympic sport um, that people were paying money to go see. And, you know, we were a pro team. We had our own bus with like memory foam mattress in the back and like, you know, everything was taken care of and we were given a salary and like, it, it was just so incredible to, to have a chance to do that. Now, my, my hockey career was, was, was taking off at the time. And I was a way better hockey player than I was a basketball player. You know, I, I liked basketball, but I didn't really watch it. Like it, it wasn't really my passion. It was just kind of, you know, what disabled kids did back then was play wheelchair basketball. But, you know, I attribute so many of my skills, my no look passes that I love to do in hockey are a hundred percent from basketball, you know, having the skill to, to lead a guy, to see the coverage, to see open people, to see pick and rolls, to create screens. You know, I, I use all of that in hockey. And um, I, I really feel like what has made me so good at my sport is playing so many other different sports and picking up on, on the things that, you know, the skills from those that I can use in hockey. Um, I, I started playing wheelchair tennis as a cross training um, kind of sport after the Vancouver Olympics and and just how how awesome that was for my hockey ability to to read passes to read plays to read eyes uh, read the spin of the puck the flip of the puck you know all these things that you have to know in tennis um, has helped me so much in hockey and 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 also just your your cross training of your quick twitch muscles your your sprinting in tennis um, you know really translates to what a hockey shift is like now you know a, a long a longer tennis rally can last 40 seconds that's now a hockey shift right so they they kind of went together so well um i started i ended up being ranked in the top 100 for wheelchair tennis and it was 100 percent just because i was addicted to it and just loved playing and loved watching tennis um, my wife threw javelin and discus in stanford and so i started doing uh you know some field events and and throwing and in paralympics there's seated throws where you sit on a platform with a pole and you can throw javelin or throw disc. And, you know, the, the only reason why I mentioned that is it was the first time in my career that I, I could 100% equate 
training to progress. You know, in hockey, you can you can lift, you, you can be this like strongest guy, or you can get stronger than you were a week before. That doesn't mean you're going to score a goal. You know, that doesn't mean you're going to win a hockey game. That doesn't mean it doesn't equate. And so that was the coolest thing about throwing track and field was I could see a month of training like equal inches or feet sometimes of a longer throw. And, and that really gave me an appreciation, um, not just for training, but for testing too. Like it, it really kind of changed my, my mentality and my perception of, of what testing was before it used to just annoy me and I didn't see the value in it. And then I really started seeing like, okay, like in hockey, that's, that's the only way that you can measure your progress is, is your, your strength testing and your speed testing and all these things because of, you know, that it can't equate to better hockey all the time. But, you know, when you can see, when you can see your athleticism rising through testing, then you can at least appreciate that, you know, now in a gold medal game in the third period, I'm going to be way more fit than I was before. And maybe that does end up equating. Yeah. I mean, the, the amount of the amount of uh, sports that you've been able to go through and it shows that you know how good and of an athlete you are I mean <laughs> it, like, I, I'm, when I say that I'm, I'm not trying to like you know pump some tires right but um, I, I mean it, it shows right you're able to transfer those skills that mentality everything that you do over to other sports and still be able to like be pretty good like like uh, being able to go over to basketball and be uh, be playing with, with a salary on a professional team going into uh, going into tennis and then being ranked pretty high even just just because you just got into tennis right and it shows that you know when you have that drive and when you have that that likeness for sport you want more you want to do more right and and on the physical and the mental side it shows how much that you really want to you really you want it Right. And it, it um, I mean, it definitely hearing all that, it, it definitely shows there that, you know, whatever sport it was, it, you, you know, you were up for the challenge. And like, it, I, I, I obviously, I obviously respect that for you because I, I don't know if I'd be able to just go into a sport and just, you know, be, be good right away. Right. But you know, that's, <laughs> that, that, that's the thing, right. You're not always, you're not always good right away. Oh, I never was. Yeah. I, I never was good right <laughs> away, but because I was just always addicted to getting better. Yeah, you, you, right. You got You got to put in the work yet. Yeah, it sports isn't always just about, you know, getting there and you're good because there's always going to be people who are going to be trying to outcompete you and you just, you have to, you have to put more in, right. It, it's, it's, it's not just always uh, um, a fun time, right. It's so it's going to be hard. It's, it's going to be rough. I mean, you're going to get hurt injuries set you back, but at, when you get to it, there's a lot you have to do for it. And if you put in the work, you can be really good. So I, I, it's really cool hearing that for sure. Um, but coming around to para hockey again, this year you played through COVID and I was wondering, like, did you find it was maybe harder to compete, like getting there training, be around more people? Cause like, obviously for about a, I'd say about a year before you're not around a lot of people. So it, right. You're, you have to kind of like isolate yourself. So how, how was that feeling? Well, you know, we were very, very fortunate um, in in Ontario that there's a bunch of guys in the GTA and that we were given exemption to be able to go on the ice together. 
Um, so there's about six of us that were able to to get on the ice about four times a week and train in the gym above the above that rink in since August. And you know, I, we we've been so lucky to be able to do that. And you know, it, it took a lot of effort. There was a lot of testing. There was you know, we we couldn't see anybody when we went in. Working out in your mask is the grossest thing I, I've ever done. But if that at the end of the day, if that's all I'm complaining about with with this pandemic, then you know, obviously we got off easy. Um, yeah, I didn't expect this tournament to happen. You know, it it's it's just been such a scary thing around the world um, with all these variants and everything. And um, you know, we had discussed earlier about our, our mental performance and our mental training, and and I really attribute it, um, you know, my my ability to play in this tournament as well as I did, um, to that training. And and you, you know, the last few years, I I've had the, you know, I've had I've tried to have the mentality of just being a machine, being a robot, not too high, not too low. Doesn't matter if you get punched in the face, you're a robot. You still just keep going. You push through. And I felt like that really came into effect um, when we got there. Um, you know, it, it it's Europe. So, like, things are a little more lax than they are, um, especially in Canada. You know, I obviously can't compare it to the States and, and how they've dealt with everything. But, um, you know, it, it was pretty relaxed when we got there. Um, everybody was getting tested, you know, like every two days. Uh, you, you know, it was surprising how well that went. There, there was no positive tests when we were there. So that, that took, that took just a massive load off your mind when you're, um, you know, when you're there and competing against other guys, what, what I was mostly worried about was like, you know, what if these guys have it and you body check them and they spread it and like, you know, none of that came to fruition when we were there. I think every athlete had at least one vaccine and, you know, it really did. It, it gave us a little sense of normalcy. It was it was pretty wild, you know. We were uh, we were able to have meals as a team, you know. You, you, we could sit at the same table. We we could take off our mask and eat. Like it really gave us a, a little bit of a sense of normalcy, and I feel like that's what helped when it came down to the hockey. You know, it was weird being in the change room having our masks on because it was 38 degrees every single day in Czech Republic. It was extremely hot and the change rooms were extremely hot. I was losing like 11 pounds every single ice time. Um, but luckily once you got out to the ice, you could take the mask off and you know, it, it just, it just felt normal again. And, you know, I, I attribute that a lot to our sports psychologist and our strength and conditioning coach who for the last 15 months, you know, annoyed us to hell and it, it sucked we we had to send in you know zoom videos every single day of different workout competitions and we had to wear heart rate monitors for every single workout and every single ice time to prove that we were doing it and not only just doing it but doing it correctly and with as much effort as as you were supposed to and our heart rate monitors would show that right they would show if we were if we were slacking and and not doing the work and you know as much as we complained we ended up getting into a pretty amazing routine, a pretty amazing habit that's going to help us continue into the Paralympic Games, which are only eight months away, I think. And, you know, as much as I complained about it at the time, I'm so grateful that they kept pushing through our complaining, through our whining. They, they kept on pushing us through it and demanding that of us. And then we started, you know, what, what the best part was is, we stopped needing for it to be demanded on us and we started demanding it of ourselves. 
and you know that was that was a huge effort on them they put us into different cohorts um, that would meet together and try to challenge other cohorts or push ourselves um, we used to have a bar that we would have of of 80 percent so you had to have 80 percent of daily logs um, three hooper mckinnon reports a week which is a like a basically a mental um you know kind of survey of where you're at three times a week you had to do your training log every single day and you had to do all your cardio, all your strength and all your ice times. And we took that 80% that we were barely making it to in, a, in our cohort said, you know what, let's make the, let's make it a hundred. Like, you know, if you fall below 80%, you didn't even get paid. You didn't get funding. You didn't get anything. You might get kicked off the team. And so we just said, well, why not make it a hundred? And it, it was pretty incredible to see what happened to the team after that. And, uh, you know, just how many dark greens, which was 100, showed up on that map. Because at the end of the week, we all got emailed what everybody did. You know, so you, you ended up not wanting to be that guy that was yellow, you know, that was below 80%. And because you, you were no longer just letting the guys down, the team down, but you're letting yourself down. And, you know, we, we, we also changed our mentality of, of, you know, coming down on those players and said it was picking them up. Let, let's pick each other up. You know, this is our team. This is our squad. Because of the pandemic, there's not a lot of players that are coming up. So, like, this is it. We need to work with each other and we need to do this together. And, you know, it really showed in this tournament. We got our first win against USA in a bunch of years. And, you know, the, that gold medal game, what wasn't, you know, we lost 5-1 um, to USA, but we had also played Russia, who I feel like is, is, is just as good as USA the night before and had a tough battle against them. And we, you know, I really feel like we, we battled that entire tournament. We had a 10-day training camp before um, in Czech Republic. You know, we went through a lot. And at the end of the day, we, we missed out on on that gold medal, but I feel like it's it's propelled us to be, you know, as good as we can be um, coming up at the Paralympic Games. And, you know, I really hope that this pandemic goes away and we can kind of get back to normal and have training camps and have all these things. But if it doesn't, you know, we, we have those tools um, to push ourselves and to get the best that we can, you know, be the best that we can be. Yeah, uh, like I, I totally agree. Like uh, you're talking about um, the habits that they're putting you into, you know, doing all that training, making sure you were logging in. That I honestly, I think that's pretty crucial when you have uh, the, the Paralympics uh, eight months away. That's, that's a great habit to have, you know, you're, you're always, you're always training, you're trying to get the most out of it, right? And instead of, you know, maybe thinking that like, oh, okay, maybe I'll do it later, right? You have that habit, they're pushing you to make it better, which is, I think it's awesome, right? Well, and, you know, it's also considering that we have a guy in Prince George, British Columbia. We have a guy who's in St. John's, Newfoundland. You know, we have guys all across the country. And when you're at that gym by yourself or on the ice by yourself and you're struggling and you feel like you're going through it alone, you know, at least, you know, a few times a week when we have those meetings and once a week when we get the report, you see that we're all sweating and, and, and going through this together. And that's what really brought us together in a way that could only be replicated if we were centralized, if we were together, you know, it, it, it helped the guys so much that we're away from the whole squad to know that they're not in it alone. Yeah. You always want to have a good team around you that, 
you know, even when they're doing their stuff that they support you doing that or um, whatever situation it's in. So it's good to have, it's good to hear that, you know, the teammates were in on it, the coaches, the staff and everything. So um, love to see it. Uh, but, you know, I, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. I mean, what you talked about, what you did and what you're still doing is it's, it's amazing. And, you know, I applaud you for that. I wouldn't be able to do any of it. So um, <laughs> I, I, I do, I do appreciate you coming on. Yeah. Thanks a lot for having me, Zach. And that does it for episode four of Sportsology, the podcast. I appreciate everyone who gives a listen every week. It really gives me a lot of energy and motivation to keep doing this because you, the listeners, like it so much. If you're looking for any socials, mine and Billy's will be posted in the description of the podcast. So till next time, my name is Zach Staten. You have a great day.